Hey, thanks so much for joining us on the Summit Church Podcast. We want to connect you to a relationship with God and all that He has in store for you. We hope this inspires you, strengthens your faith, and gives you hope to live out your best days now. Enjoy the message. We're in a series about commitments that build our character. And today, we're going to talk about habits of effective people. Every day, the average person makes 70 conscious decisions. That's that's 25,500 decisions in a year. That, my friend, is your life and mine. If we could scroll back time and wouldn't it share that sang that song? If we could turn back time. You can get my CDs right after the service right there. I'm kidding. That was a great song. I liked it anyway. But I'm saying we could look at your life and we could just start spanning the decisions and we'd know how you got where you are. In most cases, it's a clear indicator of my life, good or bad, based on the choices I make. And those choices are dictated primarily by the habits in my life and yours. Those things we do now without thinking about it. I don't, it doesn't matter whether I feel good, don't feel good, good day, bad day. It's a habit. It just comes automatically responding, which is what you want. When they take you in pilot training, they run you over and over repetitively, repetitively, touch and go, touch and go, uh, engine out. They want you to respond without having to think. So it's just automatic what you do. It becomes a habit. That makes you safer. Agree? You sure? Okay. I think so. Well, talking about those habits, this is from a book called The First Really Important Survey of American Habits. When preparing a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which goes on the top layer, peanut butter or jelly? 4% said jelly. 96% said peanut butter. Do you store your socks rolled up or laid flat? 51% said rolled up. 49% said flat. Do you ever bite your fingernails? 90% of Americans says they do. They ought to put, do you pick your nose? That should be in there too. (laughs) No, this is worse. Did you ever bite your toenails? God help us. 25% of Americans said yes. Gross. When do you gas up your car? When it's a quarter of a tank low? When it's half empty, when it's empty, when it's almost empty, when it stops moving. Wow. Well, my girls have always been horrible at that when they say, Daddy, I need gas, and I get in the car, the light's on. That is not good. That does not bring out a happy moment in my life. I'm wondering, dear God, will I even make it to a gas station? So I have a habit. I never let it go down to a quarter of a tank before I stop and fill it up. I am not going to run out of gas. Do you replace an empty roll of toilet tissue or do you leave it for the next person? How many of you prefer that it roll over the top or under the spool? 68% said over. 32% said under. Who uses the most closet space in your home? 20% said he does. 80% of real people said she does. And that's a fact, isn't it? I'm telling you, the moment you leave home or you die, 
she'll have that closet full on your side. It'll be gone. The fact is, habits shape our lives. So why is it that some people are more effective than others? Why do some people accomplish more? Why do some seem to get more out of their life than other people do? Well, the answer is, generally, effective habits make that difference. And ineffective people are simply unwilling to commit to those habits. That's the big difference. Why are some Christians a little more dynamic? Why, why do some Christians seem to grow more, seem to have more answered prayers, maybe see more of God's blessing on their lives? Well, it's the same answer. Effective Christians commit themselves to habits that ineffective Christians are simply unwilling to commit to. So this morning, we're going to look at three habits for effective Christian health. And I really think if you're serious about your Christian life, you got to build these habits into your life. They're not automatic. You have to build them. Then they become automatic. See, there's a good emphasis today on physical fitness, and that's important, and it's very helpful. I believe it. But the Bible says spiritual fitness is even more important. In Philippians, uh, I'm sorry, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, it says, take the time and the trouble to keep yourselves spiritually fit. Notice it takes time and it takes trouble. It's not always convenient. It's sometimes a bit of a hassle, whether it's physical fitness or it's spiritual fitness. Time and trouble. It's not automatic. And nobody's going to put angel dust on you. So it just happens. You have to take action. See, some effort on your part. Just like it takes time and effort to be physically fit. It takes effort to be spiritually fit. So why bother? Well, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Spiritual exercises will help you not only in this life, but in the next life too. So these habits not only help you now, but help you for eternity. The three areas we all need to develop good habits in are number one, your time, number two, your money, number three, your relationships. If God is first in your life, then he's going to be first in these three main areas. Take some time with God every day, driving the car, having coffee at the table. Read your Bible a little bit. I talked about last week, read one of the Proverbs, the book of wisdom, the smartest guy in the world, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote those 31 chapters, and they cover everything, business deals, health, fitness, marriage, who to trust, about co-signing. Everything you run into every day is right there. God said he gave Solomon no man before him, no man after him, that kind of wisdom. I want to check that out. Yeah, get smart. You know, you've heard me say it. There may be six steps to prosperity, seven or eight steps to a good marriage. Just one step to stupid. Just one. That's all it takes. It's a short run. It doesn't take much. So we want to build good habits. So talk to God. Second, give a tithe to God every paycheck. And third, get together with other believers at regular times. Have a team you can be part of. So to develop any new habit, you need to understand the three things necessary to make it stick. Number one, the reason. Why should I start the habit? Number two, 
the routine. How do I do it? And number three, the result. What's the payoff if I do it? Well, we'll look at the answer to those three questions with each three habits. So first, take time with God every day. What's the reason? To get some direction, to hear from him. Psalms 25, verse 4 in the Living Bible says, Show me the path I should go. Point out the right road for me to walk. Lead me, O God. Sometimes we get so busy we forget where are we going. You're like a pilot in World War II flying over the Pacific radioing. I got absolutely no idea where I'm going, but I'm making really good time. And boy, that would sum up a lot of people's lives because we get busy. We often need to slow down and get directions from God. So we talk to God in prayer. He speaks from his word. So usually when I'm hearing from God, it, I'll hear a word in church. I'll, maybe I'll preach it in a message, but it's going, going right to me. And it, I've had people say, and that was the answer I needed for this problem I am facing. Nobody talked about it, but God will always speak through his word. And we get direction. Don't make a major decision until you get a little bit of quiet time. Yeah, it, it can be alone in a car driving home. Cut the radio off because you need an answer. Just talk. He said, if you lack wisdom, I'll give it to you. Ask me. And usually it's not when you're frantic, you're mad, you're depressed, you're discouraged. You, people will do things in the spur of the moment because they're offended or they're mad. Like, well, I'm just going to quit my job. You better think about that and the long-range benefits of that, the consequences of it. Don't be too hasty. Calm down. Maybe, maybe you should. Maybe you shouldn't. But if you make that decision while you're hot with anger, it's called a hasty decision. And God says that's dumb. And that will be nine times out of 10, the wrong decision. Or I'll resign or I'll quit or let's get a divorce. I want a divorce. On and on it goes. People make rash decisions too quick. And don't buy something when you got hot flashes. <laughs> Calm down. Wait for the flash to go away. And then if you still want it, maybe buy it. But I'm saying, don't do anything when you're really upset, fatigued, real tired. You won't. You'll try to make a pleasurable decision, but its long-range consequences will be anything but pleasure. Don't do that. What's the routine? Get along with God. Luke 5, verse 16, about Jesus. It says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Basically, he's talking to the Father, and he's just getting away from the crowd. You can't get to know God in a crowd very well. You need a little bit of time quiet. And notice, Jesus did it pretty often. So what's the result you get? You get God's help. When you spend time with God each day, God keys in and helps you out on what you need to have. John 15, verse 7, in the Good News Translation. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you wish and you will have it. What an incredible promise. But remember, you have to meet the condition. So God says, if you remain in me and my word remains in you. So it's telling us to talk to him, get alone with him. My words remain in you. It means to spend some time in the word. Then ask what you want. God says, I'll see that it gets done. 
Now, what's the best time to have a quiet time? The best time is when you're at your best. Give the best time to God. For me, it's always walking the dog in the morning, taking the dog out. Uh, Lily, our golden doodle, is full of the Word of God. I pray out loud, walking all over that yard, and occasionally she looks up and wonders, what is wrong with him? And I pray about everything, and that's my best time. Now, I pray through the day, too, or at different times, but that's the start of my day. I mean, I'm, and what am I confessing? His word, his word. I just quote it over and over. So God will use that to speak to me as well. And sometimes if I'm quoting the word or speaking, somebody out here in the audience has a problem or a need, and it'll fix it. It'll be the answer you need to take action that you need to take. That's pretty cool. See, number two, give God a tithe every pay period. Tithing is a spiritual discipline it's a habit of giving back to God our first 10% of what we make. If I make $100, I give him 10. If I make $1,000, I give him 100. I get to keep 90%. That's more than the government gives you and give 10% to him. God's a better dealer than the government, right? And you don't fuss about that. Well, not openly anyway. Not only does God tell us to do it, there's a better reason. In Matthew 6, verse 21, he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to go. So where's your treasure go? God says, your, your treasure doesn't follow your heart. Your heart follows your treasure. It draws me closer to God. Jesus says, that's where your treasure is. That's where your heart's going to be. So tithing draws you closer to God. If I put my money in a boat, that's where my attention and affection's going to go. Wherever I put my money, that's what becomes important to me. Let me pause and say, uh, if you bought stock and you're watching the news and the stock market's falling, you're more concerned because you've put your money there. If you've invested in some uh, real estate and real estate's starting to go down, you're concerned about it. Uh, it I, I have, Cindy and I have children, and if you put your money there, they're my treasure. So what happens at a particular school could be bad, could be heart-wrenching, but what really will affect me is if it happens at my kid's school. Why? Because that's my treasure, right? This is our church. This is our family. What happens here is important to me because my money's here and my heart's here. So I care what goes on in every department or where there may be a staffing shortage or we need 15 men to sign up. Why? Because my heart's here. Well, you don't have to prove it. Just follow, the, follow my checkbook. You'll see where it is. You know, money just, when you date, money just leaves your pocket. <laughs> Who you love. When you love, you give. For God so loved the world, he gave. And after you get married, it just leaves bigger. <laughs> How about an amen out there? Yeah. It does, because when you love somebody, shoot. You, you can't, giving is just a, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's wonderful. I want to do it. If my children need something or if I get a, if I'm put in a position or a resource where I could help my child or do something great for them, not because they need it or ask for it. I want to. That's what's in my heart. I love them. Got a big investment in them. I want them to do well in life. I want you to do well in life. So tithing simply means God, your first in my life. 
That's a good thing. Show anybody how you spend your time and your money, and we'll see what's really important in your life. No matter what people say is important, my schedule and your checkbook are going to tell the real story. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23 says, The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. And it's hard to prove God is first in your life if he's last in your budget. The Bible teaches giving is an antidote to materialism and greed. The spirit of materialism says, get, get, get. Jack Taylor uh, used to say all the time, he says, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can and poison the rest. That is a bad way to live. But giving breaks the grip of materialism and greed over your life. You become God-like because God so loved, he gave. Would that define you? See? And what's the routine? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, says, on the first day of every week, set aside some of what you've earned and give it as an offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. Obviously, to whom much is given, much is required. So you wouldn't call it generosity if a guy walked in here as a billionaire and gave $1,000. To him, that's not generosity. That's a tip. But that might be a huge sacrifice for someone else, see? So giving is to be regular every time we get paid, whether it's twice a month or once a month, whatever. And when you come to assemble in the church, he says. So what's the result of it? Malachi 3.10. Bring all your tithes into my storehouse. You can test me in this, says the Lord. See if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you don't have room to contain it. And we talked about that wasn't just money. It's good health. It's your children, your marriage, your relationships, doing well in life. That is prospering, not only materially, but relationally, maritally, physically, right? Don't you want to prosper in all those areas? How's it going, Vanessa? Doing okay? That's Vanessa, everybody. She's not lost. She's, she's actually a, a YouTuber, and she's just getting some videos for it. She makes about 20000 a month doing that, you know. But I, I'm teasing. I, I only found out this year what a YouTuber was. I had no clue. I had no clue young people, teenagers, could make so much money just walking around with a camera. I had no idea. You tell me you, we don't have opportunity. Good grief. You got a phone. You, you can make money. Did you, did you know that? I, I would have done that if I'd have thought about it. Okay, my wife's telling me, time out, cowboys. So if you want God's blessing on your life, giving and tithing are a habit you're going to have to develop. Thank God for Social Security, unemployment benefits, and for those who need it, welfare. But I'm going to tell you, if you want real security during tough times, you better not just trust the government. The best insurance you can have for your life and security is to put God first in your finances because he promises to intervene and supply all of your need. And I've been doing that as a habit. My grandfather got me started on that and made it a habit every weekend. And I carried that through even before I was a Christian. And I did that right through rock and roll days, right through college to this very day. Of course, we give way above 10%. But the point is, that was where we started, just doing what God, making it a habit. So I never have to pray. If somebody walked down here and says, Rick, God impressed me to give you $50,000, I wouldn't have to pray, am I going to tithe? I couldn't wait 
to give you a check. I couldn't wait to write that baby for the church. I'm delighted in it, right? It's a habit. It pays. It's been doing it since 18 years old. I'm excited about doing it. So it wouldn't, I mean, when you make a habit, you don't have to pray about it. My, my military dad said, what'd you say, boy? I said, yes, sir. That's what I thought you said. Over and over and over. Thank you. Please, may I be excused? Yes, I enjoyed that. When a woman walks in, what do you do? Stand up, Sparky. Get up. Greet. Give someone your seat. Someone elderly, give them your seat. Now I am elderly, but nobody gives me their seat. And I, and I thought, he just made that a habit. And to this day, yes, sir. No, sir. Thank you. And we have to tell our grandchildren, what do you say? Chrissy's dropping the ball on us here. We, we say, yes, ma'am. Thank you. Please. You parents, enforce that. Make that a habit for the kids where they don't have to think about it. Don't have to pray about it. It's just automatic. Habit, good habits, but you do it over and over and over, and pretty soon, you don't need anybody to tell you to do it. I'm going to be a giver in this church. I don't need anybody to give me a sermon or a cute story or a tear-jerking, manipulative sermon to make me give money. I'm giving it. You don't have to say anything. That's what tithers do. They don't need to do that, but I'm amazed how much generous people will prosper in the business world and Christians will sit back and struggle when God says, I gave you a simple plan, use it or lose it. So you simply can't outgive God. If you're going to be dynamic in your Christian life, you need time with God each day and you need to learn to give a tithe to God each pay period. And number three, you need a team of believers to belong to, a band of brothers, a band of sisters. Get together with other believers on some regular basis. It's called fellowship. It's sharing and caring together in a small group where you can know and be known. And the reason is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage each other. Wow. God says, listen, watching on TV, sitting on that couch is not going to help you. God said you need the fellowship of believers. And he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Some of you have been out of church two years and you're not coming back. You go to the gym every day for two years and then quit for two years, you won't go back. So you have to build that habit. I want that habit of being here every week, COVID or no COVID. We came, we're here. And I'm telling you, God says you get something in a corporate worship you don't get watching the TV. Secondly, people at home are interrupted. They're texting on their phone. The washing machine or the dryer's going off. One of the kids says something. They're not even paying attention. You need a, uh, a small time where you can focus, listen, and interact with your pals and friends and encourage each other. It's a good thing to do. That TV thing really is just if you're sick or on vacation. Something happens. That's its primary purpose. But God makes it clear. I don't want you forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Get together. Get back in church. Second, what are you saying to your children? The church, that God, Jesus died for the church, gave his life for it, that it's not important? I want my kids to know there's a couple of non-negotiables, and we're going to honor God and go to church. And I'm the dad. I'm leading you. I'm not dropping you off. I'm leading. I'm going to take you there. And then you take your children and there. Otherwise, generationally, they'll be more and more separate, and we'll end up with a culture like we've got right now where there are no values, 
and everybody does what's right in their own eyes. So we set that tone. Well, if you don't like the church you go to, find another one, but get in one and make that a habit. We're going, come hell or high water, and we're going to be generous people, and we're going to have good friends and good relationships. We're going to be healthy, prosperous people. For crying out loud, you don't have to be a jerk to do that. You don't have to be a religious fanatic to do that. You just have to build good habits. Encourage each other. I'm flying out this week with a uh, Casey Treat and a couple of other guys to encourage a brother who's lost a lot catastrophically, some bad decisions and bad choices. Our whole problem is we can't change the past, but we can script what we're going to do for the future. So we're going to pray for our brother and help outline three or four plans that, that are on the table, and let's make a plan to go forward. You can't just sit back, suck your thumb, feel sorry for yourself, and blame people maybe who betrayed you or who didn't stand up for you or help you. You've got to say, well, let's move on now. Your husband left you? Okay, let's go to plan B, okay? Let's, let's move forward. I'm not going to mourn the rest of my life. If, if, if I was let go from a company, maybe people are downsizing. Ford laid off 3,000 people. Okay, what's my plan? I'm a child of God. He has promised to provide for me. He will open a door where there seems to be no door. I make those confessions with God's word, and I have full expectation he will provide my need. I'm not going to go in a fetal position and just drink and drink or do my drugs and feel sorry for myself. Get a plan. Get an action. Get up. Move forward. Okay, if old dimwit didn't want me, somebody else will. I'll freshen up, doll myself up, drop a few pounds, Put on a little evening in Jerusalem, I'll, I'll be all right. <laughs> I think out of the box, okay. I, well, after two children, he left me. In a, I got it, I got it. Okay, maybe he's a piece of garbage, maybe so. But you married him. All right, anyway. Make a better choice. There's plenty of guys out there that love a good woman. The point is God's got a person and a, and a plan for you. He will take care of you. But you can't just sit soaking sour. You've got to get up and make a move. You've got to encourage people, encourage yourself. I, you might not believe this, but I don't always want to come to church. I started it, but sometimes I don't feel like going to church. I just call Memo, say, Memo, you do it. No, but I go anyway. Why? It's a habit, and every time I ever felt that way, I always felt better when I left. I, God's word, God's people, praise and worship, prayer, shoot, it was energy. And I felt so much encouraged and better. Anybody but me ever feel like not going to church? Come on. All right, there you go. See, don't be looking at me strange. I just tell, tell you the truth. Anybody but me been married 50 years and there's some days in the past maybe you didn't even like each other or maybe you thought, yeah, maybe I wish I was single, but not at this age. Okay. Everybody's had those thoughts. Unless you've been married for three minutes or something, everybody's had those, those kind of feelings. But we don't live by feeling. We live by, we live by God's word, and, and we make habits of doing the right thing, and everything's going to be all right. We encourage each other. This too shall pass. It will. It's not, temp it's not permanent. It will pass. Hang in there. All right, cool down. So life can get tough, and we all need encouragement. The fact is you'll never be an effective Christian if you try to go it alone. 
There's nothing in the Bible. Even Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. Nobody alone. He sets the solitary in families. There you go. You need that. You need other people. Life was not meant to be lived alone. In Northern California, I lived there for a few years, giant redwood trees grow. They are huge. You can see them up on the screen. They've got very shallow roots to be a gigantic tree, and they grow in clusters. So they're able to withstand the wind and storms by spreading out their roots and intertwining them with the other trees, and they hold each other up. What a perfect picture of our fellowship. Look at that dude, how big those things are right there. So we spread out, we intertwine, and we hold each other up. We strengthen each other. Mother Teresa said, I can do what you cannot do. You can do what I cannot do. But together we can do great things. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together as the matter of some is. And if you do, you're going to dry up spiritually. Not good. So what's the routine? Go to church and home groups or small groups. Acts 5, verse 42, says they met day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. Not just on Sunday, but whenever they could. You need to get together with other believers more than just on Sunday. I've been to Israel and seen Solomon's courts all around the temple site. You could get, they say, about 50,000 people in there as they stood for worship. So they had a large celebration, worship. Then they met house to house personal fellowship. So it was group celebration and small group fellowship. You need a big group so you can say, I'm part of something significant, but you can't share a prayer request with that many people. You can't even know everybody. So you need to be in at least a small group of believers. And the result, getting together with other believers, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10. Two are better off than one because together they are more effective. We had this slogan for a long time with our small groups, better together, and you really are. Two are better than one. If you want to be more effective in your Christian life, you got to get together with other believers. Iron sharpens iron. Deep calls to deep. He that walks with wise men shall be wise. And in a group general, you'll have somebody further ahead, somebody new or further behind, and it will sharpen you. It'll give you some wisdom. Being with other, you'll learn something you didn't know. It'll pray with you to encourage you in a dark moment. See, with other believers, there's strength in numbers. We need each other to grow and to develop. In sports, football right now, and you're playing a team with a superstar, maybe a crazy wide receiver who's just beyond good, they often have to double team that guy. Why? Because you're going to have some major problems if you don't. He's going to score and put that team in a position to wipe you out. So a coach will double team him on occasion. So this year, you're probably going to have some problems, and it will require team tackling. You won't be able to solve it on your own. You're going to need some gang tackling. You need the fellowship of other believers, insight, wisdom, encouragement. See, we could mention many other good habits, but those are the three primary indispensable ones that make up life. And they affect your time, your money, and your relationship. Building 
good habits. If you have a hard time being disciplined, let me make a suggestion. Consider making a growth covenant. That's when you tell at least one other person about your commitment. In the book of Nehemiah, it says that all the nation made a growth covenant together. You know, they said, we know what we ought to do. We know the right thing. We want to grow as believers, but we're weak, so we all are going to make a covenant. We're all going to sign up together. And basically, they signed a covenant, and the leaders of the nation stamped it with their seal of approval. And they said, we're all going to pray for each other to keep us doing the things we all want to do in the first place. Here it is in Nehemiah 9, verse 39. We are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our spiritual leaders are affixing their seals to it. So we're going to encourage each other, help each other, pray for each other. Let me encourage you, do the same. Make a growth covenant to commit to a daily time with God, personal Bible reading and prayer. Some days it might be longer, some days it might be short, but I won't end the day without having read at least a chapter or verse in the Bible and talking to God in prayer, okay? So commit to a daily time with God. Weekly or bi-weekly, give the first 10% of my income to the Lord. And third, commit to a team. Find a fellowship group, small group, ministry group to get involved in. Take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Come on, it'll take time and some trouble, just like physical fitness. Remember, bodily fitness has limited value. Spiritual fitness has unlimited value. It holds promise for this present life and the life to come. What happens if you slip, Rick? Then don't quit. Keep going. How many times have you ever missed a meal? Did you give up eating? Did you say, well, if I can't be consistent eating, I'm just going to stop eating? Dumb people. No, you just made it up the next meal. So if you miss a quiet time, make it up. But stay with it. See, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you want to be spiritually fit, it's up to you. Nobody's going to do it for you. Nobody's going to force you to do it. I just urge you to get serious about your spiritual life. Everybody in this room can improve. Perfection's not our goal. It's unachievable, but you can do better. All of us can improve. Every one of us can improve, and that's the goal. Let's pray together. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Would you pray this in your heart as I just pray it out loud? Father, my life is busy, but it's my desire to become spiritually fit. I want to become a more effective Christian. Help me commit to these three basic habits. Help me to get time with you every day. Help me honor you with a tithe every payday. I want you to be first in my finances, and I'm trusting you to meet all of my needs. Help me find a small group or a team I can be part of. I need support and I need encouragement. Because you love me, give me the power to do what's right. I'm making this growth commitment in my heart today. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting summitsa.com.